Romans chapter eight, here is what you need to know. Uh, Martin Luther said, if Romans is the most glorious book of the Bible, Romans eight is the most glorious chapter. Calvin said, every Christian ought to memorize Romans chapter eight. Here's what we need to know. Romans chapter eight is a response to really majorly Romans chapter seven. If you were here two weeks ago when we went through Romans chapter seven, I told you we're gonna beat you up good on that weekend and we did. That is just a tough, grueling chapter. In fact, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read some of Romans seven and then jump into Romans eight one and we'll, we'll, we'll go for it. Uh, Paul says, Romans seven, 21 through eight, eight through one. That did not make sense. Romans 7, 21 through 8, 1. He says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Verse 25, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Verse cha eight, chapter eight, verse one. So now... There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Here is what you need to know. Yes, that's worth celebrating, right? There is no condemnation. And I'm going to explain to you what that means here in a moment. But when Paul says, so now there, you can circle that in your Bible. That is Greek phraseology that was a judicial term. What Paul is saying is, based upon the evidence that I has, have presented, okay? It's like, here are my closing arguments based upon the evidence that has been presented. We can conclude. He is using this judicial language, and what he's doing is he's taking everything that he has established from Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 7, and he is saying, if we take all of this, what does the evidence say? And he said, here is our conclusion. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you'll remember Paul, Romans chapter one, he said, I am unashamed of the gospel. Romans two and three, we were all in the same sinking boat, right? Paul just shreds everyone, top to bottom. You're no good, you're no good, you're no good, and you're no good either. And Oh, just wait, you think you're great, you're doing the exact same things, remember that. So Paul goes off, Romans two through three, and then Romans chapter four, he makes it very clear, we are justified by Christ, through Christ, and we are made righteous before God, not of anything that we have done, but what Christ has done for us. And then he goes in Romans chapter five and he says rejoice. Rejoice in the good, rejoice in the sufferings, and rejoice in God's glory. Romans chapter six, he says relationships over rules. How do we transform? We don't transform by more rules, we transform by more relationship. 
We don't need to police people. We need to love people into relationship with Jesus. And once they're walking with Jesus, that relationship will transform them. And then Romans chapter 7 is life under the law without Christ and spirit. And then Paul comes and he says, my closing argument from everything that I have presented so far is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I, uh, who in here has been to court? No, don't answer that. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> Parents are like, whoa, get my kid away from there, right? Uh, I have been. I'll break the ice, right? I've, I've been. In fact, I was there recently. Um, I got pulled over and got a ticket for driving with an expired registration, says everyone in Texas, right? Goodness. Like, can they make it easier? They make it easy, I got inspections and all this stuff. In Kansas, I think they just send them to you and you stick them to your car, right? Um, but I got this ticket, right? And so I had to appear in court. So I go to court and I didn't know this, but this was this judge's last time in court. He was retiring. So the courtroom was packed with police officers, most of which I know. I served in a chaplaincy role with the Conroe Police Department in partnership with them. So I knew a bunch of these officers, right? So it's super cool being the pastor walking into court and the police officers are like, nice job. Ooh, this is gonna be a good one, right? So I'm already flustered, I'm already wound up and I'm sitting in court and it's this judge's last day so everyone's celebrating him and it's just, there's people everywhere. I was like standing room only. I was like, man, I thought this was like traffic court or something. This, this feels like the World Cup. Like, what are, we, what are we doing here? So, standing there, I get called up to the bench. Let me just tell you something. They should teach you in school how to approach the bench. Because it's intimidating and you have no clue what to say. Like, literally no clue. Maybe not everyone. Maybe the kids who get a lot of detentions, right? You get like three detentions and they're like, okay, you're going to take a class on what it's going to be like when you're in court one day, right? <laughs> that that would have helped me a lot. I would have been, been great at that, right? So I'm standing there. He says, approach the bench. How do you plea? And literally without thinking, I said, not guilty. <laughs> I didn't know. Like, right? Not guilty. <laughs> and, and he literally, the judge stops. He looks at me. And he says, are you sure? <laughs> I said back to him, nope. <laughs> I am not sure. I have no idea, right? And so he said, I, I said, what are my other options? <laughs> and so he leans over to the guy that was taking his place, who was sitting in with him at the time. And he said, counsel, what, what do you suggest are the options for this young man. And he said, well, I can tell you what the best option is. I said, please do. Right. And the, all the police officers that I'm friends with are all back there. Like, <laughs> you know, if we can record it. We would, you know, like, all there. And, and he said, let me tell you what your best option is. Plead guilty, take the fine. He'll reduce it, pay it. You're out of here. I was like, okay, fine. Can I change my answer? And <laughs> he was like, please. I said, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Give me the fine, he gave me the fine, he reduced it, I paid it and everything else. But honestly, we, we, we sometimes begin to think about our relationship with God like that. 
that we go before God and we appear before God and we're found guilty and we have to pay the price and we pay the price through uh, our car breaking down or our kid throwing a fit or us not having enough money to pay bills or any of these things that we create in our mind and we say to ourselves, the reason I'm going through this is because I did that thing a couple of years ago and I must have forgot to tell God about it and now I'm standing before him and now he's telling me I'm guilty and now I have to pay the fine. This is exactly the opposite of what the Apostle Paul is saying. He is saying, you have gone before the judge and you have been found guilty. And instead of you being guilty, Jesus was placed in your space. The punishment, your guilt, your shame, your condemnation were placed on him and he paid the price for it so that you can stand before God with no condemnation. You are not condemned. In other words, living under a constant guilty verdict is not living in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So Paul makes this very clear with his opening argument, and then he rolls into Romans chapter 8. Here's where we're headed, three things. Romans 8 can break down into these three sections, and honestly, we could have spent three or four messages on each section. I'm considering that in the future, just a season on Romans chapter 8. He says, there is no condemnation, there is no defeat, and there is no separation. What does it mean for us when we're in Christ? It means we are not condemned, it means we are not defeated, and it means that nothing can separate us. Some of you need to grasp a hold of that this morning. What does it mean when we are in Christ? It means we are not condemned, we are not defeated, and nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, let's go into it. No condemnation, first one, Romans 8, one through four. It says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. The control of sin in your life has been broken through Jesus. It was placed on Jesus. You are not guilty before God because Jesus took that guilt and dealt with it. Verse four, he did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. You see his continual judicial language. He is saying the, the, the punishment has been paid, the guilt has been paid, the closing argument is this, we are not condemned, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Canaan, my son, that's one ice cream for him, right? Every time I talk about somebody, it's got to be an ice cream. And I'm thankful for all of you that run and tell him immediately, oh, your dad talked about you. He's like, dad, where's my ice cream? Where's my ice cream? Where's my ice cream? I don't know how he finds out, but he does. Thank you all. Cain uh, in the other day came up to me and he said, parents, you never want to hear this, right? The words your, parent, your parents never want to hear. Dad, 
I did something really bad. And he said, but I'm not going to tell you unless you promise not to get me in trouble. I said, sorry, pal, I can't do that. And he said, dad, he said, fine, I'm not telling you. I said, oh, you will. I've got so many tactics you, you haven't even figured out, right? And I said, tell me now what you did. And I can tell it was something bad. He was majorly concerned about it. And he said, nope, promise me. And I said, this is going to end the same way it's going to begin. You are going to get in trouble. He said, then I'm not telling you. Finally, I gave in. I was like, fine. I promise. <laughs> I promise, you're not gonna be in trouble for this, right? And he said, okay. He said, you promise? I said, I, I, I promise, son. He said, all right, dad. Hey, do you wanna know what he did? So we have this, this blink doorbell camera, right? And I have told this kid a thousand times not to jack with this camera. And it's like, it's like his favorite toy, walking into the house. I don't know what, punching on it, messing with it, setting it off, restarting it, and all these things. And I've told him, don't touch the doorbell camera. Don't touch the doorbell camera. It's not a toy. Don't touch the doorbell camera. Well, you, you want to know what he did? I have a video of it because it is a doorbell camera, right? You want to know what he did? Look at the terror on his face when he does this. You guys got that video? Play it. <laughs> one more time, one more time, one more time. Look at his face. Look at this guy. Uh-oh. <laughs> He's looking for me. <laughs> He's trying to fix it. Oh, no, I'm in trouble. Then he just plays it off, walks right in. How did I miss it? One more, one more. It's just so fun. One more. Oh, darn it. <laughs> Oh no, dad's coming. <laughs> Better fix it. <laughs> it's literally hanging. I don't know how I missed it, but it's literally hanging off there. So he says to me, he says, oh, dad, I, um, and I just got done telling him not to jack with it. I broke the door, doorbell camera. I said, you did what? He said, I broke the doorbell camera. I said, you better not. He's running behind me screaming, you promised, you promised, you promised, right? Oh, man. As bad as I wanted to whip him. As bad as I wanted to ground him. What did I promise him? No condemnation. What has God promised us? No condemnation. And so often we spend our days running behind him thinking we have to remind him of what we've tried to do or how hard we're working or what we've given up or what we've started or all the, and he is saying, listen, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our, so our, our, our position with God did not improve through Jesus. It was completely transformed by Jesus. 
It was completely changed from guilty to not guilty. And what that means is we're not condemned for our past, we're not condemned in the present, and we are not condemned in the future. To say that we are would to make salvation conditional. But he said there's no condemnation, none whatsoever, so we can live and walk in relationship with God without condemnation. Here, here's what a lot of us think. We think, okay, there's no condemnation on me now, but then I'm driving home and somebody cuts me off and I give them a California howdy and now God's upset with me again because I just left church and I flew somebody the bird, right? And so now I'm condemned, or now I'm in trouble, or I go to church and I make this commitment, I'm walking with Jesus, and then on Monday, I try as hard as I can, but then I go back to the bottle, and now there's condemnation on me again. No, 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 no. There is no condemnation, not in your past, not in your present, not in your future. That is the only thing that can free you to live an identity in Christ. If you are walking condemned, you can't walk redeemed. If you are walking condemned, you can't walk redeemed. The only thing that frees you to live as God has called you to live is what Jesus did on the cross to free us from condemnation. T.W. Manson, who's a, a British theologian, he said, Moses' law has right, but not might. Sin's law has might, but not right. The law of the Spirit has both right and might. What he's saying is that when we are in the spirit, it not only exposes the sin, but that it gives us the power to defeat it. The spirit is what is overcome. It is by the spirit of God that we can live without condemnation. Okay, so we have, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation for your past, no condemnation in the present, no condemnation in the future. You are free to live redeemed because all of that condemnation was placed on Jesus. Now we move into a place of no defeat. Romans 8, 5 through 14. Man, these are some of my favorite verses in scripture. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. Where, where, where does it start? Right here. The mind is the battlefield of the spirit and the flesh. So those who think about sinful things are control. Oh, so those who are dominated by sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit Think about things that please the Spirit. Verse six, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. Paul makes very clear with a very strong Greek word in the beginning that it's a choice. Letting, allowing, giving liberty to, opening up that freedom. He says, allowing your sinful nature to control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. If you desire life and peace, you need to think on things of the Spirit. Verse seven, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. That word for hostile is literally terrorist. It, it's like an opposing enemy force that wants to decimate you. He's saying sin is in jihad against God and there is no changing it. There is no fixing it. There is no stopping it. Listen to verse seven, just think, for the sinful nature is always hostile. It is a terrorist to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. You will never satisfy God with sin. 
No matter how much you justify it or how, how smooth of a talker you are, well, I look at pornography so I don't cheat physically. You will never satisfy God with that kind of thinking. You will net well, I'm in love with them and I'm not in love with them, so I'm gonna leave them and go, to, go with that. You're, you're never gonna satisfy God with that thinking. It never has and it never will. He said, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. Verse eight, that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Verse nine, here's our hope. But you are not controlled you are not controlled. Say that with me. I am not controlled. Say it again. I am not controlled. One more time. I am not controlled. But you, if you are in Christ, you are not controlled. That power is broken. It does not control you. He says, but you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. Some of my favorite verses. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you've been made right with God. Verse 11, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Isn't that incredible to think about? That the spirit that went into the grave and raised Jesus from the dead is living within us and is empowering us and giving us that same life. So I love what he says. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You are under no obligation to your sin. You owe your sin nothing. You owe it absolutely nothing. You don't owe it your shame. You don't owe it your condemnation. You don't owe it your guilt. You don't owe it your joy. You don't owe it your peace. You owe your sin nothing. He says you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by it, dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will Live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. I uh, played a fall season with Coach Price, Richie Price, who's the coach at University of Kansas. And he and his son, Richie, Richie Jr., and I played together. He was a stud. He was a great player. Coach Price was the greatest hitting coach I'd ever been around in my life. He is just a baseball genius. He holds the record for most conference wins at the University of Kansas. He has a ton of top draft picks that have come through the University of Kansas. He's just, he's an incredible coach. I loved Coach Price, and I loved his mindset and the way he was thinking. And he had just had a guy that got drafted in the money rounds, the top rounds, right, where you get big sign bonus. And so the guy got drafted and we were talking to Coach Price and, and he said this to me and it stuck with me forever. He said, he said, guys, the biggest difference between guys who go to the next level and never make it to the next level. He said, here's what I see. He said, the guys that go big, he said, they're the guys who walk up to the plate and they're thinking, where am I going to hit this ball? 
thing. Am I going to go opposite field with it? Am I going to turn on it real hard and rip it down a line? Am I going 450 dead center? Like they go to the plate with expectation. They go thinking, where is this ball going to go? He said, the guys that never make it are the ones that go to the plate and say, I wonder if I'll hit it. I wonder if I'll make contact. I sure hope I don't strike out again. And then he used to, he's this little guy, big hand, and he'd say, so go to the dish with expectation. Go to the dish with expectation. What if we approached our Christian life with expectation? What if we stepped into life and woke up in the morning with expectation that by the power of the Spirit of God, I am going to overcome what has been attacking me and tormenting me and coming after me, and I'll do it by the blood of Christ that was shed for me and the Spirit of God that's living within me. There are, there are, there are too many well-meaning Christians that are living in Romans chapter 7 with no Christ and no Spirit tormented by effort. Their souls are tormented by continually trying to defeat sin on their own and overcome on their own and do more things and make more lists and get more filters and find new friends. And, and all of these things are just tormented by a Roman seven mindset. What if you woke up and what if your first thing that you started thinking to yourself is I am a blood-bought citizen of heaven? I have a father in heaven who died for me, who sent his son to die for me, to cleanse me so that I'm not condemned, to fill me with the spirit so that I have power, so that I can live with expectation to overcome. I can live with expectation that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is living in me. And I'll think on the things of the spirit, I will talk about the things of the spirit, and I will live by the spirit and I will kill my flesh. If we woke up like that, instead of waking up saying, uh, hope I don't mess it up today. Hope I don't screw things up today. Now, I know I've told you this before, but this in April, <clears throat> week after Easter, I'm going to defend a dissertation. And Lord willing, I'm going to graduate with a doctor of ministry in, in May. Now, listen, it's not near as impressive as you think, right? But um, I, I'll tell you my school journey uh, I, I failed my freshman year every single class. Don't recommend it at all, right? Even freshman orientation. Like, how do you fail freshman orientation? There's one way. Don't show up. <laughs> Got it, right? I had a blast. Don't get me wrong. I went to college to play baseball, and that's exactly what I did. I never went to class. I just played baseball, had a ton of fun, and at the end of the semester, I was like, oh, man, I may have messed this up a little bit. I completely forgot about the class part, and so messed it all up, and now graduating with a doctor, people ask, what is the difference? I'll tell you something. I did not become a rocket scientist overnight. You know what I just quit doing? I quit living as the poor kid from a blue-collar family that never went to school and was never very smart and just worked hard their whole life. I quit living in that identity and I started living in the identity who God was calling me to be and asking me to be and pressing into me to be. I didn't get smart, I just quit believing I was stupid. I started living from a new identity that God was spurring up within me and calling me to do. What if we started living by a new identity? a spirit identity, an identity filled by the spirit of God with no condemnation on you. Listen to me, if all you think you are is an angry, hard-hearted son of a Baptist, that is all you will ever be. It's all you'll ever be. 
If all you think you are is a lustful adulterer who cannot quit looking at pornography and talking to women that aren't your wife, that's all you'll ever be. If all you think you are is a Jezebel spirit that hides behind a great personality, but inside you're empty, you gossip, you slander, you tear people down to make yourself feel better. If that's, if that's all you think you are, that's all you'll ever be. But if you are a blood-bought citizen of heaven, a child of God filled with the spirit without condemnation, you can change. You can change. What does N.T. Wright say? If your religion doesn't change you, change your religion. You can change. That's why I hate that comment. Well, this is just the way that I am. Guess what? You can change. It may be the way you are now, but give the Holy Spirit a few years in your life. Give worship a few years in your life. Give the word of God a few years in your life. Give a community of believers that are gonna encourage and lift you up and pray for you. Give that a few years in your life. Give prayer a few years in your life and you will see yourself change. There is no defeat for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not conquered by your sin. You're under no obligation to your sin. You don't owe it anything but a foot on its throat. You have overcome it by the power of the Spirit of God. And then he finishes here with no separation. This may be some of the most encouraging, I I don't know that you could go deep enough to comprehend what Paul is saying here to a bunch of people that he has been beating up. Remember Romans 2 and 3, right? He has made clear you are not great people. (laughs) No matter what you think, you are not righteous, not a single one of you. But yet, Romans 8, 35 through 39. He says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Verse 36, as the scriptures say, for for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Verse 38, And I am convinced, are you convinced of this? This is what you have to become convinced of. I am convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that worth celebrating or what? There's nothing. There's no power. There's no person. There is nothing that can separate us from Christ's love. As I told you in the beginning, we we went to Mexico last week and man, we just had the most beautiful time, the most wonderful time with our family. I mean, people ask me, did you, did you get a chance to relax by the beach? No, 
I had my three kids with me. I was drug all over this massive resort with seven pools and all. I mean, I did not sit down once and I loved every second of it. I bet I had my phone on me less than two hours a day, if that. I just, I just got to spend and enjoy and laugh and have fun with my kids. But anyone who has traveled with kids, you know this. Once you get there, it's great, right? Getting there is great. It is getting there and coming back that is a challenge, right? And my daughter, Zion, she, she just, airports are way overstimulating for her and all the security checks and everything else. And there was this time I was, I, when we were leaving, we were headed there, there I, was, I was pushing her stroller and we got to the, the, the deal and, and the guy asked me to walk through and I walked through and then he said, okay, she needs to walk through. And I said, she won't walk through. And he said, oh, well, then I need to take her over here and, and check her and pat her down. And I looked at him. And he looked at me and we locked eyes and it was like the okay corral, right? <laughs> and I said to him, that little girl is going nowhere without me. And he, he paused for a minute and he thought, well, is it worth doing my job and risking my life or do I just let this pass? And we stood there and I said, not going anywhere without me. You're, you will, you will not separate me from that kid. I promise you. There's not enough people in this room to stop me. And he said, you know what? Can you pat her down real quick? And I, I went like this to her and he wiped these things on my hands and he said, you're good, bro. You're good. Like, oh. But if you think that's crazy, I got, I got one better for you. You want to hear crazy? So we're leaving Mexico. And as we're leaving, we're the last ones to board the plane. We, it's, it's just kids on there. The less, least time as possible is the best, right? So very, I am the very last person to get on the plane. I have Zadok with me this time, and I have him in a stroller. And I get to the gate, and they special security check me at the gate. And I mean, everybody has boarded, right? So they have me take off my shoes, empty my carry-on, all of this stuff. Meanwhile, Anna, told you this one was crazy, right? You think I'm nuts? You know nothing about Independence, Missouri, baby. <laughs> Independence, Missouri will handle business when it comes down to it. Anna goes to the steward. They were talking about closing the door and like, you know, moving the plane on. And Zadok and I were in there. And Anna goes up to the flight attendant and she says, if you close that door, my son will die. <laughs> wow, I must be a great dad. I must be a great dad. She said, if you try to close that door, I will get my rest of my family and I will rip that door open and I will walk off of this plane. <laughs> Told you crazy, right? <laughs> and they said, okay, we'll wait. And they waited and we made it home together. And it sounds crazy, but what parent wouldn't? What parent wouldn't? You know, let them take your child away from you. You know, let them take your kids. You know, let them separate you from your kids. That is exactly what Paul is saying here. As blood-bought children and citizens of heaven, there is nothing that you can do that will separate you from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing. It is mama bear, daddy bear, and kingdom bear all in one. And he is saying nothing, no power in the sky, nothing on earth, no power, not even the powers of hell can separate us from Christ Jesus our Lord. We are not condemned, we are not defeated, and nothing can separate us in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Romans chapter eight. 